study everybody good to see you tonight glad you're here i'll take a few moments and pray and then ask god bless it on our time father thanks for uh, uh just uh we just ask you to bless our time we ask god that you would take this time use it for your purposes in our life i pray that we would have ears to hear what you're actually saying tonight uh we wouldn't make things up we would allow you to speak we allow you to lead us, we allow you to guide us, we allow you to teach us tonight. And I just pray that we'd receive what you have for us. So God, uh, we pray for truth, we pray for understanding, uh, we pray God that um, we would be able to receive just your word uh, in its simplicity into our lives. So do what you're going to do. I pray that our hearts, our minds would be changed by the power of your Holy Spirit, the power of your word, God. Give you thanks. We ask that you would be glorified during this time, um, that we would be unified. I pray, God, for your peace, your grace, your mercy, and your joy to fill us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We received a message tonight, or this past week, uh, from one of our listeners of the podcast. And so I will play that for you. Hello, this is Laura from China. I was listening to the Bible study today. Looking forward to the new Bible study. Erin, are you there? I miss you. All right. Laura. All right, Laura, thanks for contacting us. Always good to hear from you. And uh, hopefully we'll have something for you tonight. But, uh, yeah, if you would like to ever leave us a message, anybody that listens to this, please do. Uh, you can do so at a website. It's www.speakpipe, S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E.com. There's a slash Monday Night Bible Study, which is all one word. And you toggle a button there, and it looks like you're leaving us a voicemail. And we'd love to hear from you. It could be as simple as where you're from, uh, your name, uh, whatever. Uh, we just love to hear from you. And uh, so, Laura, again, thanks for sending a message. Always great to hear from you. And Aaron misses you, too. So do we all. And so hopefully we'll see you sometime soon. If you have your Bibles, let's look at Colossians. Colossians. Chapter 3. If you need a Bible, some located on the tables. If you want a real paper Bible. We have them. Colossians 3. I need a volunteer to read verse 25. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. All right. Thanks for, for reading that. And you can uh, read up above that a little bit to see the context of what he's talking about. Cause I'm going to refer back to the context of it. Uh, but the, the main idea that I really wanted you to to glean out of this, and, and I only had one note on this verse, and the only note that I, I had on this verse was, God has no favorites. And so that was really, and that is really, I believe, a central truth 
of what's being said here, what Paul's trying to get across to the church. Uh, we, they, we live in societies that uh, have a hierarchy, and we're used to a social hierarchy within our society. And so there are people in our society that have more power than others, people that have more influence than others, people that have more money than others, people that have more of a say about what goes on than other people do. Uh, and so we have classes of people, we have uh, people that are touchable, people that are untouchable, people that seem that if, say, we would go out and commit a crime, we would have to go to jail, but there's people out there that commit crimes and nothing ever happens to them. And so we're kind of used to that, uh, and we're getting more and more used to that as a people, is that that just exists. And we don't want that to exist, it just does. Uh, it's not really part of the fabric of who we are as a culture uh, here for that to exist, but it's pretty common all around the world. Uh, we normally refer to that as corruption. But uh, yeah, the rest of the world, that's kind of the way things operate. And so uh, we had been somewhat of an exception to that for a pretty long period of time, and uh, we have entered into the same type of corruption as many other people live in and are used to. So people here in the Bible, they understood that. Uh, they lived in a society. There was plenty of corruption, bribery. Uh, the Roman government was uh, occupying their land, but there were always deals to be made. Uh, tax collectors made their deals, and there were just, uh, just Roman officials that were on the take, and they were making their deals, and Everybody was making their deal, and so that was just the way it was. People that were doing business during that time were making deals with the Romans. They had a little more freedom to move their goods around, or maybe maybe some of the taxes weren't quite collected on some of the things that they were bringing in or sending out. And so the corruption was just a part of it, and there's always been that. And so that, that was what was going on. So they were very used to the fact in their world, as we are in our world, that Society has its pecking order, and and that's just how it is. And Jesus wanted to be really clear uh, during his time in teaching, and Paul wanted to be really clear in what he was relating about the kingdom of God through his epistles that God doesn't do that, uh, that he doesn't have his favorites. And so uh, he wanted us to understand, as like in the in parts of Scripture where he says there's neither... Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. And he wants us to understand that. And he wants us to understand that that we're all in this together, but we all stand before God uh, as equals. And so we don't have to worry about some kind of corruption. We don't have to worry about this or that or this person or that person. We kind of joke about things like this sometimes, but the fact of the matter is they're no favorites. And so that's just how it goes. And so that so this is the main thing. The other thing I want to talk about tonight is the idea of liberty. And if we're going to be a people who live freely, and which is really a created state, God created Adam, Eve, created us to live in a state of freedom. Uh, that was clear from the Garden of Eden. Uh, you think about what are the rules of the Garden of Eden? There's one rule. There's one limitation. That was it. And everything else they could do. So they, they were ultimately free. They just had one, just one limitation that God said, don't do that, which is exactly what they did and messed it all up. But they were created to
to live in that kind of freedom. So are we. That was God's intent for us. That's how God made us. That's how God has formed us. The way He formed our heart. The way He formed our spirit. The way He formed our soul. And so we were created to live in a state of freedom. But freedom, by its nature, requires discipline. And I know people will say, oh, freedom means you can do anything you want. No, it doesn't. Because doing anything you want puts you into bondage to something. And that's just how it goes. And so if we're not going to live in bondage to something, if we're not going to live as subject to something else or to someone else, then freedom requires a certain degree of discipline. Yeah. It's what liberty requires. And so, divine grace is really one of the main subjects of the epistles. Uh, mercy, forgiveness, love. That's the focus. And the focus of the epistles, if we're going to understand them the way that they're written, is that kind of grace and that kind of mercy, that kind of forgiveness, that kind of love. And if we're going to really understand how they're written, the focus of the epistles is on Jesus. And so we are called to, if you keep that focus, in other words, you keep the focus on the love, you keep the focus on the forgiveness, you keep the focus on the grace, you keep the focus on the mercy, you keep the focus on Jesus, then from that perspective, we are called into an affectionate duty within the kingdom of God. God has stuff for us to do. That within that freedom that God gives us, is this idea of discipline. Within that freedom that God has created us to live in is the idea of Him in the midst of that, His will, His purposes, His plans. And so He calls us into an affectionate duty to His Word, into what He has for us. And so He describes it every great way that He can so that we look at it a certain way. He wants us to see His will. He wants us to see His purposes he wants us to see His plan. He wants us to see His Word as the best option. And it is the best option. But He wants us to really see it that way so that we're attracted to it. And it's not a burden. And it's not something that we, oh no, begrudgingly have to go about doing what God has for us. He wants us to understand that it's the best. And so His intent as He reveals that, His intent for us, as He calls us, His intent for us, as He changes us, and as He reveals Himself more and more to us, His intent is that we see His will, His plan, His purpose as the best thing that we could possibly do. He wants the best for us. He has the best plan for us. He knows us the best of anybody. And so as He lays out His purposes and His plans for our life, those are the best possible options and choices that we have. The problem is when we start thinking we know better or we start thinking that we really want to do something. And it's not even necessarily we think we know better. It's just that we really want to do something. Do what? Uh, it could be anything. It could be anything that gets in our head. It could be anything. It could be anybody. It's like, you know, you, when, those times when you kind of fall in love. You remember those times? You find that special one. You know, and you're in eighth grade or something, and you find that special one, and then they're like the center of your life for two weeks, and you're in love, or whatever you think love is when you're in eighth grade, 
And, and that, that's it. That's all there is to it. And so that's, even if God were standing there with a bullhorn in your ear telling you, no, don't do it. Well, if you're eighth grade in love, man, you're going. Yeah, it's too late. It's too late. And you can extrapolate that to other situations in your life. I chose that one so you didn't think I was picking on you. Because I might know your story, okay? So I'm not picking on anybody. Talk about eighth grade, okay? That's all I'm talking about. But you understand what I'm saying. Because you really want something. And so God's saying no. Oh, he's mean all of a sudden. No, he loves you and he wants the best for you. God's saying no. Oh, he doesn't understand me. Well, no, he understands you perfectly and he has your best interest in mind. It's just maybe not what you want to do. And I want you to consider God is 100% right all the time. Just consider that. Consider he, he's never whiffed on any, on any call, any judgment call. Never. And, and then I want you to consider how many times you whiffed on a judgment call. I whiffed on a judgment call. I thought I knew and I didn't. You thought you knew and you didn't. And you think about and we conveniently forget many of those times, but I want you to think about it. It's like there are lots and lots of those times where we didn't have all the information. Okay, good. Well, realize that. Or those times where we were, oh, you know, we were in an emotional turmoil. We we're in a bad state. Right. Well, think about that. That happens. Oh, somebody lied to us. People are going to lie to you. Okay? Think about that. So all those things, I mean, you can say, all right, well, you didn't have all the information. Somebody lied to me. I was all emotional about it. You can say all those things are probably all true. All right? But they have to be taken into account that that's the state that we live in. And so to have somebody looking out for us, Having somebody look at knows the beginning from the end, somebody that knows us inside and out, looking out for us, and every now and then, he's going to say no, and we're thinking, yes, 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 he's just going to say no. That maybe, maybe, we could put some trust in him. We could put some trust in his word. As hard as that is in a moment sometimes, to really just put a little bit of trust and what he says. Because he's never done us wrong. And he's not going to. We do ourselves wrong more than he ever will. And so to understand that is to understand that our ultimate trust, as much as we can muster up, is well invested into his will and his purpose and his plan for our lives. It's well invested. So you can invest trust into a lot of things. That's a great place to invest some trust. You only got a little bit? Invest it there. Invest it in the middle of what God has. Invest it into His will. Invest it into His love. Invest it into His purposes for your life. That's a good investment with a good return. So we're called into an affectionate duty. Meaning, He's got the best for us. Meaning, He's going to lead us and guide us. Meaning, His will be done. I mean, that's part of Jesus' prayer when He taught the disciples, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done. That's how He taught us to pray. And the idea of His kingdom, that's His rule and reign. Come on. 
Come on, your kingdom come. And you can add a couple words on there to make it a little bit more personal for you. Your kingdom come in my life. You're ruling right. Your will be done in my life. That's what we're praying for. That's what we're asking for. Getting a hold of. And that's our affectionate duty. Is to take hold of His will and get after it. So, you come to this thing here and you got the word but. At least in the Bible I was using. But, at the beginning of this verse... So, God calls us to obedience, diligence, unselfish living, honesty, faithfulness, and a contentment. There's life and a reward in that. So, when I started going down that list, we get this idea of obedience. Obedience and faith are the same side. They're two sides of the same coin. Obedience and faith. Because you just look at uh, anything in the Bible. Like look at uh, when Jesus calls the disciples. You can ask a valid question when Jesus calls the disciples. So he calls Matthew. Leave what you have. Come follow me. He calls the fishermen. Peter and Andrew. Drop your nets. Come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. And they drop their nets and they follow after him. Now, was that obedience or faith? And that's a valid question. And, and I can ask that question to a bunch of people and I'm going to get different answers. Because they, you could say that was faith. You could say, oh, well, they just believed Jesus. They believed in Him. They believed Jesus and they were willing to drop everything they had and they were willing to follow after Him. Or you could just as well say that was obedience because He told them to follow Him. Drop your nets, come follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And He did it. So that's clearly obedience. But which came first? Was it the faith or was it the obedience? Did they believe in Jesus? They did what He said? Or did they do what He said? They saw how that worked out and so then they believed in Him. Which was it? And, and I'm not expecting you to answer that because there's no real answer to it. You can talk about it. You can think about it. But there's no real answer to that. Because, and I'm going to say this again, obedience and faith are two sides and it's the same coin. So you can flip it over, look at it here. Oh, it was that. Oh, you look at this. Oh, yeah, maybe it was that. Same coin. And so we're called into that. We're called into that, into that diligence and that unselfish living and that honesty and that faithfulness. And here's the key part of that, the idea of faithfulness. Faithfulness and implied in that word is whether you're being watched or unwatched. Is that, that, that begins to speak to the idea of authority in your life. Because of the idea of authority, there, there's two kinds of authority. There's ascribed authority, and then there's earned authority. And, and the ascribed authority is like the policeman. He has ascribed authority in our society. He, he wears the uniform. He drives the black and white or the, the blue and gold or how, whatever color his car is, the black car with the gold stuff on it, whatever, wherever uh, police force comes off of. But he has an ascribed authority in our society, meaning that if you're going 82 miles an hour down the throughway and you see a state trooper parked in the middle of the throughway, now, 
What would probably, maybe I should have picked a higher speed, but what would probably be your reaction once you catch an eye on that guy? Let's just slow down, right? Because you're in a 65-mile-an-hour zone. You don't want to get uh, over 80-mile-an-hour because that's over 15 miles an hour. That's a bunch of points, and that's a big fine. So you start slowing down. Why? Because you feel like it's the right thing to do or because there's a state trooper sitting in the middle of the road? Well, if you thought it was the right thing to do, you wouldn't be going 82 miles an hour to begin with. Let's just be honest with that part of it. So you're doing your 82 miles an hour, but you see that state trooper, you slow down. That's ascribed authority. Like you're looking at him like, oh, yeah, I better slow down. He's going to give me a ticket. So that, that's just a part of our society. There's all kinds of people in our society to varying degrees that have ascribed authority in our lives. They do. So those, those are those people. And so we will perform a certain way in front of those people when we need to to avoid penalty or to garner favor. Right, so that's ascribed. Earned authority, that's people that we have in our lives that have earned over time the right to speak into our lives. Why? Because they've been awesome. Because they've been faithful. Because they have served us. Because they have been there when we needed them. Because they uh, have told us the truth. Because they have been patient with us. Because they've been with us through thick and thin. And you start going down a list and there's all kinds of ways that we earn that kind of authority in people's lives. It's usually through service. It's usually through sacrifice. It's usually through giving of ourselves to see that happen. But there's two different things going on there. Two different things. And when people see God, and this, this speaks to right to how we see God in our lives. If God has authority in our life because He's God, in other words, He has ascribed authority, then when we think He's watching, we're good. But when we don't think he's watching, we're not so good. And I know that sounds silly, but it's the way we are. Now, you show up to church, you got to be good because he might be watching. But when you're driving away from church, you don't have to be good anymore because he's back at church. And that's silly. Because we know God's everywhere all the time. We know that that's not really the way it is. But there's some childish thing in our mind that if this is the way we're going to interact with God, this is the way we're going to see Him, this is the way that we're going to understand Him, all right? then that's how our lives are going to look. They're going to be reflective of that kind of an idea, that kind of childish idea that, oh, He's watching. I better be good. He's not watching. I'll do whatever I want. Yeah. That's not what we're called to. We're called into a different understanding of the God that we serve in that the God that we serve is everywhere all the time. He loves us. He cares for us. He wants the best for us. He has given everything that we might have life. He is the shining example of someone who has earned authority in our lives. If we'll really look at him and we'll really consider what he's done, we'll really consider his patience, we'll really consider his long-suffering, we'll really consider his forgiveness, we'll really consider his love that he's been pouring out on us, that he loved us before we even knew him, he loved us. And we start really considering that, that he died on a cross, that we might have life, might be forgiven, 
He's given everything. Greater love is no man than this. They lay down his life for his friends. That's me. That's you. There's no greater love than that. He has done everything that is required to have an earned authority in our life. Well, our reaction to him is going to be different if we see him that way rather than seeing him as a state trooper in the middle of the highway. Because he's not that. And when we treat him that way, we diminish his presence and recognizing his presence in our lives. We diminish his love for us. We diminish his sacrifice for us. We diminish all that he has given that we might have life. We diminish that by relegating him to some position where he's out to get us or he's watching us or we better be good or some Santa Claus position in our life where he's checking his, he's got to listen, he's checking it twice or whatever it is, whatever childish way that you want to understand him or see him. But that's just not who he is. And so he calls us into, as I was saying, an obedience. He calls us into a diligence. He calls us into unselfish living, into an honesty and a faithfulness, whether we're watched or unwatched. Because it doesn't matter. Just call to be faithful. We're called to be about the business that God has called us to. Into a contentment, into His will and His purposes for our lives. And so the next part of that verse is, is these words, if you do, if you do, well, do what? The, there's two different people he's talking to in this verse. He's talking about a relationship. And he's speaking into a relationship. A relationship between a servant and a master. And you can replace those words as employee, employer. You can replace those words as rich and poor. You can replace it whatever you want. Powerful, not powerful. But he's speaking into a relationship. Specifically here, servant and master. And he's speaking to the servant and he's like, well, all right, number one, if you do, you do. In other words, the actions that you take. And so whether he's speaking to the servant or he's speaking to the master, there's something to be said to them regarding the actions that they are taking themselves. And that's why he's going to talk to because we're encouraged, and I hope I can get this across a little bit, we're encouraged to leave things in God's hands. We are. Now, am I saying that we never do anything? Of course not. We never take action? Of course we do. We don't work? Yeah, we work. Those aren't the things I'm talking about. The things I'm talking about are control issues. The things I'm talking about are the things that we, we have to take up in our hand because they're not happening fast enough. We've got to take up in our hand because somebody's being mean to us. We've got to take up in our hand if someone's not being fair. Fair, not fair. Well, Jesus had things to say about being fair. I mean, there's parables about being fair. The prodigal son is a parable about not being fair. And what do I mean by that? I mean that... The, the son that didn't run off with, with his dad's fortune and squander it? He, he didn't. He had a case, though. He was upset when his brother came back 
And the father welcomed him with open arms and threw a party for him. Because here's a guy that just went off, did whatever he wanted to do. Here's a guy that went off and spent all of his inheritance. Here's a guy that went out and, and just went into debauchery and everything else while he, the, old, the other brother, stayed on the farm, kept working, was diligent, taking care of business, going about life the way that he was supposed to be going about life. Well, how come when this guy comes back, this Flander comes back, this guy that spent all his inheritance comes back, they're having a big party for him. And he's upset. Well, because he was living within an idea of it should be fair. Well, that idea of fairness really isn't a part of the kingdom of God. I know you want it to be. It's just not. It's just not how God really works. You know, there's a parable about a guy who hired people. And he went out at 6 o'clock in the morning. He hired some guys working the field. And he said, I'll give you uh, 100 bucks for working in the field all day for me. That's 6 to 6. And so about 9 o'clock, he went back and he found a bunch of other guys standing around. He's like, why are you just standing around? Come work for me. Come work for me 9 to 6. I'll give you 100 bucks. And then at noonday, he went back, and there's still people standing around. He's like, you guys shouldn't be standing around here. Come on out in the field and, and work for me. And from noon to six, I'll give you a 100 bucks if you work for me. Three o'clock in the afternoon, he found some other guys standing around. Come on, I'll pay you. Come on out. Give you a 100 bucks. Work three to six. Five o'clock in the afternoon, he went out and found some other guys standing around doing nothing, brought them in, hired them, and gave them a 100 bucks for working an hour. At the end of that story, the people that started at 6 in the morning came back and they're like, how can you give that guy $100 for working an hour? We've been here for 12 hours. That's not fair. Right? Because that's not really part of the kingdom. And that's what Jesus was trying to tell us. Yeah, it's not how the kingdom works. You know, you, you can look at people that had dedicated their whole lives to following after God, living a an awesome chase life, but you got a thief on the cross dying with Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Fair? What about those people who've been living their lives, their whole life, living as holy as they can, doing the best they can, and you got this guy who was a malefactor, who was a criminal, a real criminal, dying on a cross. Jesus looked at him and said, all right, well, today you'll be with me in paradise. Boom, just like that. Fair? Well, the idea of fairness doesn't really have a place in this sense in the kingdom of God. We want it to, but it doesn't. That's not the kind of justice that God brings. That is, that is in His justice. You know, that, that's us looking out for our own interests. Because the guy that the, the guy hired at six o'clock in the morning agreed to work for a hundred bucks, right? He agreed. And then I didn't change the terms of the deal. He's like, you agreed to work for $100. You work for $100 here. That's fair. And the guys that started at 9 and 12 and 3, and the guys that started at 5 in the afternoon, they all agreed to work for the same wage. And he paid them exactly what he told them he was going to pay them. That's fair. Now, when we start comparing, you want to compare yourself to somebody else? That's where it gets sticky. 
Because that's not the part that, that God's really concerned with. And the older brother that was mad at, at the brother that ran off, he said to his father, he's like, how can you do this? I've been here this whole time. All this other stuff. He's like, he's like, everything I have is yours. That's what the father told him. He's like, everything you see is yours. Your brother, he was dead. He was lost. And now he's been found. We're going to celebrate that. See, it's just a whole different perspective. And, and it's when, when we begin to compare, like that brother started comparing himself to the other brother, those workers started comparing themselves to the last hired workers. It's when we begin to compare, we forget that God's told us the whole time, this is what it is. This is what it is. This is what I have for you. Not what I have for the guy down the street, not what I have for the person across the street or anything else. This is what I have for you. And he is faithful to his word. You can count on it. That's fair. And so I think somehow we need to lay down some of those ideas, those childish ideas. About, well, it's got to be the same. No, it's not necessarily the same. It's what God has spoken to you. And so in this, if you do, we need to, we need to and, and I believe we're encouraged to, leave things in God's hands. He loves us. And like I said before, muster up a little bit of trust that He'll take care of you. Muster up a little bit of trust that He's looking out for you. Muster up a little bit of trust that He has you. And I've talked about this the last few weeks, but there are certain things that's just God's business. Let it be His business. Let it be His business. Stop trying to control everything. Stop trying to make everything happen. Stop trying to make everything happen in your time. Stop trying to make everything happen the way you think it's supposed to happen. Let God do His business. You do yours. You be faithful to what you're supposed to be doing. But let God do His business. He's so much better at it than you are. And what these verses are talking about, whether it's talking to the servant or it's talking to the master, because he's talking to both of them right now, he's like, you need to let God's business be God's business. Your business is your business. Period. And when you begin to do things and you step outside of what your business is, that's when you begin to reap what you're doing. And this is something we can count on. Because he describes something that takes place here. And, and again, it's speaking of relationship. And you can say that relationship would be employer, employee, master, slave, servant, uh, whatever it is, rich, poor, whatever it is. But it works both ways regardless of position. Let God do his business and you go about yours. And when you stop, in other words, when you begin to try to go about God's business, things go awry. That's when things go off the rails. That's when things mess up. And you know what I'm talking about if you've ever tried to do that. Things aren't going fast enough for you. Well, I'm going to speed them up a little bit. Yeah? How's that going to go? It doesn't always go so well. In fact, it rarely goes well. In fact, I don't even know if it ever goes well. And so this verse is talking about that. It's like, yeah, don't do that. Because there's a consequence to that, that when we begin to step out of what is our business, when we begin to step into what is God's business, these verses, they start talking about this idea of being paid back or receiving back what we've done. During the internship, I often describe 
the consequences of our actions as being like standing up against a wall and throwing a super high bounce ball against the wall. You ever do that? You know what a super high bounce ball is? Yeah. The little clear ones? You throw it against the wall, what happens? It's going to come back at you, just the way it is. So in the Bible, there's this, there are these laws. Like there's physical laws in the world, like gravity. You know, laws of thermodynamics. There's physical laws in the world. There's spiritual laws. And one of the spiritual laws is this idea of whatever you shall sow, what happens? You're going to reap it. Right. That's spiritual law. I mean, like, that's like gravity. Right? I'm not, and I believe in gravity. Right? And, you know, whatever. Laws of thermodynamics. I believe in those. So, so there's certain laws that have been, we understand through science, through the physical universe, but there are laws that are spiritual. And that's just one of them. And that idea, even within the law of, of sowing and reaping, there's a multiplication of that. And so there's a place where Jesus talks about that. It's like whatever you shall sow, you reap 30, 60, or 100-fold. So it actually multiplies. And so that's also part of that law that he's laid down, that spiritual law. So it's no... There, there's there's no real revelation here from Paul that what that that which you are sowing into that is God's business, not your business. When you start sowing into God's business, then that comes back on you. That's not a mystery because that's part of the law of how God has made things. To finish the story. Sins like that. And, and that's, that's where the illustration comes in. You do something, in other words, you commit sin or whatever it is, like throwing a high bounce ball against the wall, it's coming back. So you sowed to that, and then it comes back at you, and, and so you're going to reap it. And so Jesus, and this is kind of the gospel in weird cartoon form, but the Jesus gets in between us and the super high bounce ball. We already threw it, it hit the wall. But before it can come back and get us, he steps in and he takes the hit for us. That's the work of the cross. And if you understood what I just said, you kind of get a different way of seeing things, a different way of understanding things in the work of Jesus in that the cross, that he is reaping what we've sown. So, so that, that's part of his work, part of all that he's done, part of what he's given so that we can have life. So that same principle, that principle of sowing and reaping is being described here by Paul. And, and he's just saying, slaves, servants, masters, whoever you are, whoever you're in this relationship, employer, employee, uh, rich, poor, powerful, not powerful, whoever you are in this relationship, you need to stick to your business and stay out of God's business because when you start getting into God's business, you're going to reap something you don't want to reap. It comes back at you. So we receive back. Literally, shall carry off. Yeah. So there's always a balance. There's just a balance. In these relationships, there's a balance. So where if we're the servant, then we have responsibility what? Go about our business. 
If we're the master, we have a responsibility. What's our responsibility? Go about our business. If we're the employer, go about our business. The employee, we go about our business. That's what we do. Let God take care of the rest. Let Him take care of His business. And so we have to exercise some kind of discipline in order not just to step into whatever it is we think needs to happen. We have to use some kind of discipline in order not to try to make something happen that's just not time for it to happen yet, if it's supposed to even happen at all. Just because you think it doesn't mean it's right. Just because you want it doesn't make it true. That's just what you want and what you think. And we want and think things that aren't right or true lots of times. And so resisting the urge to force things to happen is an important part of finding ourselves in the midst of what God has for us. We leave certain things, we put things into His hands. And so we're being encouraged to live and to trust and to find rest. I have a few verses for you. Somebody look at Romans chapter 2, verse 6. Romans 2, 6. Yeah, if you sow it, you're going to reap it. 2 Corinthians 5.10. 2 Corinthians 5.10. So we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive Thanks. Second Peter two thirteen. Second Peter two thirteen. Their destruction is their reward for the harm they have done. They love to indulge in evil pleasures in broad daylight. They are disgraced and stain among you. They delight in deception, even as they eat with you in your fellowship meals. Does that say they're a stain? Love that. I love that. Yeah. So, clearly, there's these verses that talk about, it's like, you know, if you're going to sow to certain things, you're going to reap. And the idea of responsibility for your actions and responsibility for your decisions is a pretty big idea. Especially in a society that really doesn't emphasize that. That we're responsible. And so, understanding that is to understand that our decisions mean something. Is to understand that our attitudes, our actions mean something. Whether we want them to or not, they just do. And so, again, put this in context. Let God do what God does. Let's do what we're supposed to do. And again, that's finding ourselves in obedience. It's finding ourselves in faith. Two sides of the same coin. That's us finding ourselves in God's will, His purpose and His plan, and staying there. Finding rest in there. Finding a contentment in the midst of that. So we get down to the last part of this verse. God has no favorites. So I already said that He's speaking to two sides here. He's speaking to servants and masters, rich, poor, whatever. There's no favorites. 
In other words, we're all in the same boat. We're all called to the same place of letting him do what he does and us just sticking to what we're supposed to be doing. I know that sounds so simple and I keep saying it, but for some reason as humans, we, we think, well, we've got to do something else. Why? What else? What else? you got God. you got His will, His purpose, His plan for your life. Follow it. What else? No, no else. That's when we get in trouble. And that's what he's telling them. It's like, you're going to do what you're called to do. You're going to do the things that you're supposed to be doing, that you're called to be doing, that you've been told to be doing, and that's it. And when you overstep that, and you step outside of that, that's when the consequences come. And so God has no favorites in this. None. And and I want you to think about this. I'm going to just give you, I'm going to say something I want you to think about for a few seconds. I've already talked about rich, poor, Bond free. Now I want you to think about the concept of servant master. God has no favorites. Jesus was both of those things. They called him rabbi, but he washed their feet. He was both. In other words, he was the leader, but he was also the servant. And he taught a, a model of leadership that where the servant is the leader is the servant. And so he, there's no distinction there. There's no favorite. He eliminated it. And so with all of these philosophical positions and all these things that we have in our minds about better, worse, good, bad, whatever those things are. Jesus eliminated the idea of there being one above the other. There's no favorite. Regardless of social pressure, regardless of societal hierarchy, regardless of any of those things, regardless of money, no money, power, no power, political influence, no influence whatsoever. There's no favorites. So my plea is heard just as much as this other person over here that has all the social power in the world. And so I can trust God that He hears me. That's why I can leave it in His hands. I can trust Him that He knows me so I can leave that in His hands. I can trust Him that He's looking out for me. Even though I'm nobody, He's looking out for me even though I'm running in the same circles as all these other people that are somebody. I can trust that. I can find rest in that. I can find contentment in that. And so the idea of living in equity, spiritually, spiritual equity which is what God offers us and what He's proclaiming to us tonight, spiritual equity is the mother of justice. So you want to talk about justice in God's world, in God's place, in God's presence. It is encapsulated in this idea of equality, of equity. We have to live in that. We have to live in that. 
I don't know how many times I've been in positions where I've been the nobody and there's been somebody, but God hears. And I've been other times where I'm in a position where I'm the somebody and God hears the nobody, right? Because in somebody's scale of societal hierarchy, you're at the top and the bottom at the same time (laughs) somewhere. You might be at the top in your house and you might be at the bottom at work, right? Maybe you're the queen of the house and maybe you're not the queen at work. Right. That's correct. And so you should be able to hear this, you should be able to see this, and you should be able to live within this, wherever it is you find yourself in that societal hierarchy. Because spiritually, spiritually, none of that matters. None of it. So have some hope. Have some faith. Why don't you have a little bit of trust? If you've been kicking against the goads trying to make something happen, why don't you relax a little bit? What's God saying? What's God doing? Let Him do His thing. Let Him do His business. Banging your head against the wall is not going to make it happen. Just not. And as hard as you want to bang your head against the wall, it ain't going to make anything faster, better, and it's certainly not going to help your peace. It's not going to help your rest. It's not going to help your anxiety. In fact, it's going to ramp it up. There's something that's freeing. There's a liberty in letting God do His business and finding the ability to release that to Him. And you stay faithful to what you've been called to. There's something really liberating about that. I can only encourage you toward it. That's all I can do. Let's take a few moments, and I just want to encourage you that uh, God's here, and if you're living in a certain amount of anxiety, or you're living in a certain amount of pressure, or whatever it is that's going on in your life, I want to encourage you that God's here, that He loves you, He cares about you, and He's got the best for you. And if you can believe that, even for a second, put a little bit of faith in Him. Put a little bit of trust in Him. Just put a little bit of trust in Him tonight. And God, we, we give you thanks. We give you thanks that you've done everything to, to earn our trust. You've done everything. You're faithful. You're good. You've given. You've sacrificed. You've served. No one has any greater love than what you've already shown us. So you've done whatever it is that needs to be done. Every box has been checked. And so I just pray that as we lay down whatever it is that we think or our selfishness or whatever it is, our control issues or whatever it is, we just lay it down. That there's a rest and there's a peace and there's a freedom in that. Of letting go of your business. Allowing you to do it, allowing you to accomplish it and us just sticking to your will, your purpose for me. Your plan for me. And going about the business that you've given us to do.
given to me to do. So guys, thank you tonight. I thank you that it's not super complicated. I thank you didn't make this world super complicated. You didn't overcomplicate our relationships, our relationship with one another, our relationship with you. You didn't overcomplicate it. But there's a simplicity to it. And there's a simplicity to, to how you call us to live. You didn't call us to live in anxiety. You didn't call us to live in fear. You didn't call us to live in bondage. You created us and intend for us to live freely and in liberty. And I pray, God, we would shed whatever those bad ideas are. We would shed the control. We would shed the illusions of control so that we can live at liberty with you. Thanks for loving us, God. Thanks. Thanks for taking care of us. Thanks for looking out for us. Thanks for having the best, your best for us. Thanks. And let's pray in each of us to be a little bit of trust activated, a little bit of faith activated in us that we could trust you enough, trust you enough to do your business. So God, I pray you'd set us free and we live in that freedom. Yeah. We live in that freedom. Give you thanks tonight. Give you thanks. Give you praise. We invite you to be God in our lives. <laughs> Rule and reign, God. Your kingdom come in me. You will be done in me in me. We ask it in Jesus' name. That's your best saying. Amen? Amen. Alright. Great to see you tonight. Thanks for coming. And we'll see you again. UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. No, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you mm -hmm. know? He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community, like the community dad. Yeah, so there's a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University, UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. You know, yeah.